You'd like to turn with me um, to, uh, yeah, I'll set this over here, to the 10th chapter of the book of John. That's where we'll start at today, uh, but if you're familiar with me and how I teach and how I preach, we're going to be all over the Word, uh, and I may not be able to uh, ask you to turn there, but if after the message and after the sermon, after the message this evening, this morning, you would like uh, to have the scriptures, I would be more than happy to provide them for you because I... Uh, I do encourage you not just take my word for it, but to, again, go to the word itself and to study it and to read it, uh, to see what it has to say to you. Um, pull back the curtain just a little bit. Um, you're my church family, and I love you, so let me be completely honest with you on something. Um, I, I don't want to preach that message. I don't. I don't want to preach that message. I have fought it. I have wrestled with it for two and a half weeks. And I'm saying again, I do not want to preach that message. I came to church this morning in the car asking God, give me something else because I still don't want to preach that message. At one point, I was so bold and so foolish to declare to God, God, I'm not going to preach that message. You've got to give me something else. And when I confessed that to my lovely wife, she responded in only the way Patty could respond. So uh, how's that working out for you? I came to church last week. I said, you know what? I bet the senior pastor would have problems with this message. So let me ask... Let me ask, I went in there with Brad. I said, Brad, this is what God's laying on my heart. I really don't want to preach it. And I'm hoping that you'll tell me not to preach it. Act two. Um, we're talking about this morning a very dangerous sermon if, if taken the wrong way. It's a dangerous sermon if I preach it in the wrong way. See, there is a very strong risk, and I'm asking God to really anoint me in this. There is a strong risk that I preach this message out of an angry heart with an angry spirit because there's something I'm very angry about. But I've learned early in my ministry, and early on, I don't want to call it my ministry because I'm it's God's ministry. But I've learned early on as I began to, to teach and preach that I need to teach and preach out of a spirit of love. That's how I'm truly going to impact people. If I get up and I'm angry and I'm screaming and I'm yelling and I'm angry, I'm going to just harden more of the hearts that may already be hardened. And that's not what I want to do. So I'm, I'm, I'm struggling because I'm this message is salt in a wound to somebody that's been hurt, church hurt. Just about everybody in here at some point in your life has experienced church hurt. And if you've never experienced church hurt, the likelihood is you will one day. And the reason why is when we come into the house of God, and rightfully so, we let our 
physical armor down. And we lower our emotional armor down. Because we're amongst a family here. And in many cases, it's closer than our actual families. Some of us get around our actual blood relatives, and the first thing we do is put up more walls. Because we know our family members, and they will hurt us, and they'll let us down, and they'll just poke at us. And, and, and afterwards, we'll say, why did I even try? Uh, but uh, when we come to church, we expect love. We expect help and we expect nourishing, we expect edification from each other. So it's when someone fails, it hurts even worse. So church hurt is a reality because why? Because we fail. We serve a perfect God and yes, I'm, I'm redeemed. Yes, I've, I've been justified and I'm going through a process of sanctification, but I am still just a man. And I can fail. I will fail. I have in the past and I will again. And that brings up another point. Church hurt is even worse when it's committed by someone who is in a leadership position in the church. Someone that you look up to. Someone that you are supposed to be there as a godly example. This is who you are supposed to mimic. This is who you're supposed to emulate in your life. This is the person that's supposed to be your guide through things. He's your spiritual under-shepherd. But sometimes those spiritual shepherds, under-shepherds, lead us in the wrong path. And that church hurt is even worse. In preparation for this morning's message, as a result... Actually, it was as a result of some recent news that came out, and I'm not going to go into the great details of it, but it was revelations that's come out about Ravi Zacharias. And if you're not sure what, what's going on there, then you can look it up if you want to. I'm not going to go directly into all of it, but uh, basically a man who I admired, and I, I loved listening to his messages, a great apologetic uh, who had re died recently, uh, if the evidence is true, and it, it appears that if you are looking at the evidence with an objective mind, uh, that the abundance of, revela of revelations that have come out since his death is that this man was a monster. A monster and a predator on the highest degree. And he has destroyed lives, destroyed families, and because he was elevated to such a high position within the church as being someone, this is a champion for God. Now, the world wants to look at him and go, that's what those Christians are all about. You see there? You can't trust that. See, they don't want to point out where there's been successes. They don't want to point out how many lives have been changed for the good by the church. They don't want to point out and, and elevate and put on the news and talk about and write articles and, 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 and books about how, how much the God has used the church to help and to, and to strengthen families and bring people out of sinful lives and, and heartful situations. No, they want to focus on the monsters. Jesus says there in, in the book of, of John, chapter 10, he makes the declaration twice. He says, I am the good shepherd. 
But logically, if he is the good shepherd, you must then also understand then if something's the good one, then there must be bad ones. And unfortunately, there are some bad shepherds. So if you wanted to title this morning's message, it would be The Bad Shepherds. And you can see, I would rather talk all about our good shepherd. Not the bad. But what's happened with Ravi has opened up a fresh wound. And so much of the scriptures that I have read in preparation for this has caused me to want to make sure that I'm, wanting, that I'm preaching what God wants me to preach and not out of anger trying to vent because I have a very unique, a very unique perspective on bad shepherding that I hope to never share with any of you. My wife and my son... I've shared it with. They've lived it with me. I'm not going to go into details. Although it has been on numerous national television shows. Again, national news loves to highlight the failures. But my former pastor and my former music minister are in jail for murder. Yeah, that was my pastor you, you saw on television that people were talking about. I was the one that confronted him. Told him this, and, 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 and man, I don't want to get all into the details, but they committed murder to, to, of her husband to try to make it their affair to be unhindered so they could continue on with their affair. These were leaders in the church. And to this day, I find myself wondering, could I have caught it earlier? Should I have caught it earlier? How did I even allow them to come into the church to take up that position? It wasn't just me. We all had in that church bore some responsibility. But why, why did we get fooled? How can we let such a monster in our church and take up that position? So even today, I, I, I am... Again, as I've read these scriptures, it's been salt in a wound. And I'm hurt this morning for that. And before I preach the message, I want to I wanna I wanna say two more things. First to the believer here that's maybe had church hurt and you're struggling with church hurt, or maybe you're trying to get over it, or maybe you're going through it. Uh, and it's as a result of failure in leadership. I want to make this disclaimer. Just because a church leader has failed you doesn't mean that they're a wolf in safe clothing. Sometimes church hurts happens over misunderstandings. Sometimes church hurt can happen because, again, a God-fearing man can still stumble and repent. Not everyone that makes a mistake is a wolf in sheep's clothing, a charlatan, a quote-unquote hypocrite, okay? And maybe you're here today and you're lost. You might be. You might be on the camera. You might be watching and you're lost. 
And you're hearing this message this morning, and you go, you see there? You see there? He's talking about it. All Christians are hypocrites. Oh, God says, we're held to a higher standard for a reason. We are biblically, as church leaders, as pastors and preachers and teachers, we are held to a higher standard of accountability for a reason. It's biblical. And why is that? Whether you like it or not, the church and therefore God is judged in the eyes of public opinion based on our failures, not our victories. You might be here and you might be listening and you're lost. I want to make this point clear in the message as well. Yeah, there's some bad guys out there. But I am confident. I cannot tell you an exact number. But I am confident that for every bad shepherd, there's not ten, not hundred, not thousand, not tens of... There's hundreds of thousands of faithful, loving, God-fearing shepherds that God has called and put into the ministry to help. Do not let the failure... Of some of one instance in your life, whether it be you that's saved and that, that thing that you've, you've that hurt you, that stomped on your toes, that's cut you, don't let that keep you from growing closer to God and allowing God to use you in the church and to witness and to bearing fruit. Don't let that one instance keep you from growing in Christ. And don't let the failure of one bad hypocrite or two or three or four or five in your life keep you from knowing Jesus Christ as your Savior. You may not like doctors, but if you get sick, where are you going to go? To a doctor. You may think all oh, them lawyers are a bunch of crooks and thieves, but let somebody sue you or let somebody get you in court. Who are you going to call? You're going to call a lawyer. There is a physician, a great healer, and you're sin sick today. Go to the healer. You've been judged, sinner. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, you have been found guilty and there is a verdict already against you and you are already condemned. And don't let one bad lawyer or one bad judge or one bad shepherd along the way keep you from hiring and having the best, best defense attorney there ever was and ever will be. Jesus will be that advocate for you. So, much as I really don't want to preach this message, there is simply no, no avoiding the overwhelming will of God. Can't run from it. Again, Jesus declared there in the 10th chapter of John, he says, I am the good shepherd that giveth his life for his sheep. And I'm going to read the, 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 this whole section here. And again, follow along with me if you like. 
But it says in verse 1, Truly I tell you, anyone who doesn't enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in some other way is a thief and a robber. Jesus tells us that there are thieves and robbers out there. There are charlatans out there who want to portray themselves as good shepherds and their only goal is to rob and steal from God, from you. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens opens the door for him, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought all outside, he goes ahead of them. The sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will never follow a stranger. Instead, they will run away from him. Because they do not know his voice. Jesus said again there in verse 7, Truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the gate. and If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will come and go out and find pastors. A thief comes only to steal Kill and destroy. I have come so that you may have life and have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd, Jesus declares. I am the good shepherd. The shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. The hireling or the hired hand, since he is not of the shepherd and doesn't own the sheep, leaves them and runs away. We talked about in Sunday school this morning about being called into the ministry and called into pastorship. And here's the fact. There are a lot of men and women in churches today who are there because it's their career and not their calling. It's their career. And they may have all kinds of degrees, All kinds of training from men. They may be able to quote chapter and verse, this, that, and everything else, but they're there because they're there because they're hired to be there. They're not there because God called them and set them in that position. And what happens with hirelings? When things start really going on, when things start getting rough, well, it's time to pull out the old resume and find somewhere else. And they'll leave you. And they'll abandon you. The wolf then snatches and scatters them. My 47 years. 47? 47 years. (laughs) Of life. I've been in a lot of churches over the years. And I've, I've... been pastored by some of these hirelings before. And you know what almost happens almost every time after they cut wind and move on? Is that church it's Because at that point, they scatter. Satan comes in and he just runs rapid. Through there. There's arguing, there's bickering, there's clicks, there's that, there's over here and over there. And if the church survives at all, it's a remnant of what was is there to begin with. But again, Jesus declares again there in verse 14, 
I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Again, we will, God willing, spend some time talking about our good shepherd. But as I said, uh, the recent events in the news and the things that are happening in, in the world today, it seems like every time you turn on the news, it's talking about another failure or another this or another that. And again, even ourselves and our flesh, we're quick to throw rumors out. Well, you know what so-and-so did. You know what so-and-so's up to. I don't want to put a lot of attention on those failures. They've got enough publicity as it is. What I do want to do is directly address some biblical examples that we have in the Word of God about these failed ministers and these failed prophets. So I want us to see here that this is not something new. This is something that has been a part of, 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 of a, a thorn, as it would be, in the, th- in the flesh of the church from the very beginning. This has been a problem that God has addressed all through history. And the thing is, God doesn't ignore the bad shepherd. He calls them out. So part of my fear this morning was calling out the bad shepherds is, one, I don't want everybody to think that that's all there are, are bad shepherds, when the fact is they're very few and far between. But also, I don't want to be guilty of throwing a lot of stones when I realize myself, depending on how you judge me, I, I, I'm, I'm pretty bad in the flesh. I, I, I stand in God's grace on a daily basis. I'm a sinner saved by grace, not by my own works, because my own works is pretty filthy. So I don't feel comfortable throwing a lot of rocks at other people that's fallen. So I, I don't want to do that. But listen, God calls these guys out. He doesn't ignore them. And he has some stern warnings to those. And then some encouragement, which is what I hope we'll finish with. But I'm going to be reading over in the book of Samuel. First uh, Samuel chapter 2, and I'm going to be there for a moment. If you want to f- turn over there with me, you can. Uh, I can't promise you will stay here long, but uh, you want to turn there with me, you can. Uh, at the time here in, in, in 1 Samuel, we are introduced now to the high priest at the time, and his name is Eli. And we're told there in verse 12, it says here that Eli's sons were sons of Belai. It says there, now the sons of Eli were sons of Belaiah, uh, and they knew not the Lord. Now, for clarification, let me kind of read that verse again, because in the King James, it stumbles a little bit. Let me read it again out of the Amplified. Uh, it says here, the sons of Eli, Hophini and Phinehas, that's their names, were worthless. Yeah, worthless dishonorable, unprincipled men. They did not know nor respect the Lord. And for further emphasis, let's look back at what it says there. It says, and they were sons of Eli, were sons of Belaiah. That word in, in other texts 
in non-biblical script and in this common language had often been used as a common name for Satan. So in other words, what the scripture here is saying is, they were sons of Eli, but they were more importantly, they were sons of the devil himself. And they didn't know the Lord. That's these two guys. And let me tell you something else. Here's where it gets even, even, even worse. They lived and worked in the house of God. Their daddy was the high priest, and they didn't know God. That tells us a lot about Eli, too, by the way. But it says there in verse 12, it says, And the sons of Eli were wicked men. They did not respect the Lord or the priest's share of the, of the sacrifice of the people. Now, again, the priests didn't have jobs like we would have jobs, okay? Uh, you know, we have a bivocational pastor. He, he works and he is no, the church has no means to support our pastor 100%, so he has a job to provide for his family. There are larger churches that have full-time pastors because they have the congregation of the size and they have full-time pastors and full-time salaries, okay? Uh, and they are supported by the tithing and the gifts of the church support, supports their family, as, again. Um, at this time, the high priest, they didn't have the priestship. They didn't have responsibilities. They weren't farmers. They weren't shepherds. They weren't uh, smiths. They weren't this or that or anything else. This was their focus in life. This was all they were supposed to focus on was God and thus lead everybody else to God. So they had to find a way to feed them. So there were ways in which they would get food. Part of the ways is what we read here. It says, uh, the shared sacrifices of the people, when anyone would offer a sacrifice, the priest's servants would come with a three-pronged meat fork, put it down, and come back up. And when, and when it would come back up, either out of the kettle or the cauldron or the cooking pot, that's in, in verse uh, 14, whatever was left on it, you know, they're not down there trying to fish the biggest pieces, okay? They put it in, pour it out, and whatever God give them, that's what they would have. They didn't stop there, though. It says here, and this was the way they treated all the Israelites who came there. And it says here in verse uh, 15, even before the fat was burned, even before the sacrifice was given, the priest's servant would come and say to the one who was sacrificing, give to the priest some of the meat to roast because we won't accept boiled meat from you, only raw. If that person would say, the fat must be burned. No, this was my sacrifice to the church. This is my sacrifice to God. What do you mean give it to you now? I haven't given it to God first. They would say, no, I insist that you hand it over to us right now. If you don't, I will take it by force. They were literally stealing from God. They had no respect for God or his sacrifices. Now, we read on a little ways. We find out that this was causing 
a schism between God's people and God. Because if every time someone came to want to give their offering to God, someone said, put your money in the offering plate, and the whole time they're reaching in their back pocket and grabbing their wallet, eventually they're not going to want to come to church anymore. Eventually they're not going to want to come to worship anymore. They're going to recognize, I know what good is, and that's bad. I don't want to have anything to do with it. And they'll stop coming to the worship center. They'll stop coming to the church because they recognize that's a bad shepherd. Instead of finding, again, at the time there were no other options. But it was causing this schism because people weren't wanting to worship anymore. And instead of doing what they were called to do as being an intercessor between man and God... They were a wedge now because of their greed and their sin, wedging and dividing their people from God. And it got so bad that the people eventually went to Eli and complained. It says there in verse 12, now Eli was very old, and he heard everything that his sons were doing to Israel. They complained to him about him. And they were, this wasn't the only thing they were doing here. It says, uh, and how they were sleeping with women who served at the entrance of the tent of meaning. They were sleeping with the women in the worship. It's basically, they were sleeping with the women in the church at the time. Now, this was, and I think most scholars would agree, what was happening here was basically a form of temple prostitution, which is what you would see in a lot of the pagan churches at the time. And, and, and you see this uh, division being happening, taking place. And we'll look at this later on. But you'll see this, this, this departure from what, the, what God says is holy and what God says is acceptable to what the world finds holy and acceptable. And Eli pleads with them. You need to stop this, boys. Look at the damage you're doing. This is a scary, scary line. Verse 25. But they would not listen to their father, since the Lord already intended to kill them. God had already planned out their judgment. God had already given them a chance they had failed it, and God had hardened their heart, and judgment was prepared. And even though Eli, too late, tried to reach them, God had already prepared that judgment. And God had said, I'm going to kill them. It needs to be done because there needs to be a testimony of how serious of crime or what they've done. It needs to be shown that I... That God is not going to ignore these bad shepherds. This is serious we're talking about. This is important. These are eternal consequences we are talking about. But as scary and as horrible and as frightening and as, as verse 25 is. 
Praise God. I love verse 26. It's like those but God statements in the word of God. You know, it's really bad. But God. (laughs) But Samuel. By contrast, you've got all this going on. By contrast, the boy Samuel grew up in stature in favor of the Lord and the people. Even though God had already prepared judgment, he was also preparing their replacement. While there are those out there that are hirelings, they're thieves and they're robbers, they're wolves in sheep clothing, they're charlatans that sneak their way into the church with the only intention of trying to seek self, not God. God is prepared and called good shepherds. Prepared one there. Two takeaways. God is not ignorant or blind to sin. And he is certainly not ignorant or blind to sin that takes place when you're in a church. He will hold church leadership to a higher standard. He will hold church leadership to a higher set of accountability, and rightfully so. God always has faithful shepherds prepared called to guide his people. Even though you feel you are alone, even though it may seem that there aren't anyone out there doing right, Elijah had to be reminded after being the fire and the earthquake and the wind that he wasn't alone. God still had his prophets who hadn't knelt to Baal. God has his good shit. We are blessed with a fantastic, loving minister here. A great under-shepherd who currently is enjoying a well-deserved and earned vacation. And I am so thankful for that. And there are countless men just like him all over, not just the state, country, but all over the world who put their own lives down and risk everything to serve him. Over in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 2. This is what the Lord says, verse 5. What fault did the ancestors find with me? That they went so far from me and followed worthless idols. He asked the question to Jeremiah. What did I do wrong? What did I do wrong as God? Why have they turned their back on me? What else more could I have done? And he proceeds there in the rest of that of those next couple of chat verses there in 6 and 7 to talk about. I brought them out of Egypt. I brought them here. I gave them this. But they, they says here, but they don't ask where is the Lord anymore. They don't turn to me anymore. In verse 8, this is so, the priest quit asking, where is the Lord? The experts in the law no longer knew me. And the rulers or the shepherds rebelled against me. 
And the prophets prophesied by Baal and followed useless idols. God was acknowledging the failure of the church leadership. And as a result, what you find here is the people then would also, as the shepherd went, the people followed, and there was great sin in the land. And that's where there was famine in the land, and there was judgment on the land. And people were asking, instead of asking, why is this happening right here? Why is this happening in our nation? Where is God? They continued on with their same old actions and deeds. We have a famine in our land right now in America. And instead of asking, where is God? They're trying to find some other means to meet the need. When in many ways, what has failed this nation is the church. We failed to stand in the gap. We have failed to be the church leaders that we need to be. We have too many hirelings behind pulpits today. One, our Lord does not ignore his sheep. There is a need out there. I talked about this in Sunday school this morning, about people recognizing the calling on their life, and then God giving you the equipment and equipping you to meet that need. And there might be somebody who has been equipped to do a job in the church, and because for whatever reason, they sit on that need and they don't exercise it. God just doesn't say, well, if no one's going to do it, then I guess it just doesn't get done. God will rise up somebody to fill and meet that need. He may take the calling from one person and give it to other, or he'll find somebody who is faithful in that which God has already given them, and he'll put more on them because he knows they've proven trustworthy and faithful, and he will meet that need. There is a need in America today. There is a need for the church. There is a need in a flock that needs shepherding. And my friends, even though we are well aware of the failures we're well aware of those men who have fallen, like Robbie. Like those pastors that say, well, five private jets aren't enough. I need a sixth. God has not forgotten the flock. There was always a promise for faithful leaders. Continue reading there in Jeremiah, one chapter more, in chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. He says, Return, O faithless sons, declares the Lord, for I am master over you. In other words, because often that word master and shepherd are used interchangeably, he's basically saying, I am the shepherd over you. I will take you one from the city and two from a family and will bring you into Zion. Then I will give you shepherds or under shepherds after my own heart who will feed you on the knowledge and understanding. He's called. And there are faithful servants out there. Don't be discouraged. These, these faithful shepherds won their gifts from God. They share God's heartfelt, heartfelt concerns for his sheep. Again, it says there, they're after his own heart. 
Now, does that mean they'll, they won't fall? Does that mean they're not going to trip up? Guess what? David was a man after God's own heart, and woo, buddy. This time, I remind you of some of his failures. Still a man after God's own heart. These heartfelt concerns works itself out in carefulness and feed the sheep. These shepherds will feed the sheep in knowledge and understanding of God and, and His Word. Yet, in spite of these messages from Jeremiah, in spite of, the, in spite of these early messages from, from the God, and the knowledge that God is not going to ignore these sinful leaders, they still persist. Why? Because Satan has recognized they're pretty useful as a wedge of driving a, that, that separation between man and God. And he'll continue to use them as long as we allow it to happen. In verse 23, uh, uh, in Jeremiah chapter 23, he says, verse 1, Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture. This is the Lord's declaration. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says about the shepherds who tend my people. You have scattered my flock, banished them, have not attended to them. These are evil acts. Do not be mistaken. These things that these supposed leaders are doing, they're evil in the sight of God. And he does not ignore them or justify them or excuse them just because they have a doctorate on the wall. But he continues on. In that same token, there are some bad ones, but I got some good ones waiting. Verse 3, I will gather the remnant of my flock from all the lands where I have banished them, and I will return them to their grazing land. This will become fruitful. They will become fruitful and numerous. I will raise up shepherds over them who will tend them. They will no longer be afraid and discouraged. Praise God, they will no longer be afraid or discouraged. If you're afraid and discouraged, God isn't ignoring that. Nor will any be missing. As the greatest shepherd of all, that righteous branch. Praise the Lord, when one goes missing, he'll leave the 99 to go find that one. He says there in verse 5, look, the days are coming. This is the Lord's declaration. When I will raise up a righteous branch, he will reign wisely as king and administer justice and righteousness in the land. In his day, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And the, in, this is the name he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. And praise God, that great shepherd is my righteousness because my righteousness is filthy rags. Look at what these great these shepherds did that were so bad. 
These bad shepherds destroyed the sheep. They scattered the sheep. They let them go missing. They exposed them to danger. They neglected the, the sheepfold. They neglected the church. They neglected the needs. But these new shepherds, these godly men that God has called, they will nourish rather than destroy. They will gather them together rather than scatter them. They will keep track and account for each one of them. And none will go missing. God will keep them secure and safe. The word of the Lord came. This is in Ezekiel chapter 22. The word of the Lord came. Son of man, say to her, You are a land that has not been cleansed, that has not received rain in the day of indignation. God says, your land is being judged. Your land is in a famine. And now, my friends, our land today is being judged. And it's being in a famine today. It is spiritually starving. And why? Verse 25, the conspiracy of her prophets within her is like a warring lion. Tearing its prey. They devour people, seize, seize wealth and valuables, and multiply the widows within her. Her priests do violence to my instruction and profane my holy things. They make no distinction between holy and common. They do not explain the difference between clean and unclean. They close their eyes to my Sabbath, and I am profaned against them. Church today, for the large part, has become secularized. You've got some great writers out there, authors, who have a career of encouraging people. That's their calling, they say, to encourage, to tickle that ear, to make you feel good about yourself. And all the while, all they're doing is stealing, stealing from God, and they're watering down the gospel. They're secularizing the church. There is a such thing as sin, my friends. There is evil in the world. And God hates the sin. He loves the sinner. But hates that sin. Verse 27, her officials or her leaders or her shepherds within her are like wolves tearing their prey, shedding blood. I served under one. I served under one. Didn't care who he hurt. Didn't care what lives he destroyed. Destroyed and destroying lives in order to make profit dishonestly. Her prophets plaster for them with whitewash by seeing false visions and lying divinations. 
you good. Come, God don't care what you do. Tickle in those ears. This is what the Lord God says. The, peop- the people of the Lamb have practiced extortion, committing robbery. They have oppressed the poor and the needy and unlawfully exploited the, re- the resident aliens, those people that live there. He has now turned his judgment off of the prophets and the pastors and the shepherds to the people because people have gone in hook, lying, and sinker to these devils. And we preach messages like this and we read scriptures like this so that we can be warned about who we follow in our lives. So that when we look at our bookshelves, we start looking about, well, what actually does this man preach? What actually does this woman teach? What actually is being in these books on our bookshelves? What actually does that ministry minister to that you're supporting? In chapter 34, God continues. He says, prophesy against the shepherds. Woe to the shepherds of Israel who have been feeding themselves. Shouldn't the shepherds flee their flock, he says? Hey, I'm thankful that there are such things as mega churches, that they're so huge and so great. Oh, wonderful that there's such a body. But when you have got a, a, a multi-million dollar church house with a pastor with a multi-million dollar salary, and there's homeless people begging for food outside. Something's wrong. You have not strengthened the weak. You haven't healed the sick. You haven't bandaged the injured. You haven't brought back the strays or sought the lost. Instead, you have ruled over them with violence and cruelty. It continues on there. Not done. Verse 11, chapter 34, verse 11. For this is what the Lord God says. See, I myself will search for my flock. Myself will be there. As a shepherd looks for his sheep on the day he is among his scattered flock, so will I look for my flock. I will rescue them. I will bring them out from the peoples, gather them from the countries, and bring them to their own soul. I will shepherd them on the mountains of Israel, in the ravines, and in all the inhabited places of the land. I will. Over and over again, we hear this in the scripture here. God will. I will, says God. Where man has continually and over and over again failed. I will, says God. 
I will tend my flock and let them lay down. He will give us rest. He will give us rest. I will, verse 16, seek the lost and bring back the strays. Bandage the injured, bandage the injured and strengthen the weak. But I will destroy the fat and the strong. I will shepherd them to justice. Said there in the book of John, I am a good shepherd. I'm the one that God promised he would send. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep, he says. And in verse 14, he says, I am that good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. My challenge, my challenge for me personally Especially with this open wound. Is to keep my eyes off man. And to keep my eyes on God. Now that does not in any way. Mean that we as men. Should just simply go. "Eh, God's got it. We have a responsibility. Last verse. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1. I exhort the elders among you as fellow elders and witnesses to the sufferings of Christ, as well as one who shares in the glory about to be revealed. Verse 2. Shepherd God's flock among you, not overseeing out of compulsion, but willingly. As God would have you to do. Not out of greed for money, but eagerly. Not lording it over the entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd arrives, you will receive an unfading crown We're not going to have a normal invitation like we would traditionally do. Not a typical altar call, although, God, you have a need to pray, then obviously there are going to be numerous people here that be willing to pray with you, whatever that need may be. <clears throat> I love you. If everything I, if I, if anything I have done in my life has hurt somebody in the church, I am sorry. If you've been hurt in the church, God says, trust Him. He loves you. He'll shepherd you. He'll heal you. 
I hate to focus on the bad shepherds when we have such a good shepherd. Good, good shepherd. We are about to enter a time of, of, of season when we think about all that our shepherd has done for us. Death, burial, and resurrection is going to be something that's going to be preached and taught uh, quite a bit over the next couple of days. We have a shepherd that laid down his life for us. I'm thankful for that. Let's stand and we'll pray and we'll be dismissed. Father, I ask, Lord, that you would bless this congregation, that you'd bless all those that came here today, that I pray, Lord, that whatever it is that you, you meant for this word to do, that it would not go out and return void, that it would minister in our lives. I pray, Father, Lord, for not just, just church, Lord, but this community, Lord, as we get ready to hand out invitations and try to to have an outreach into the community and bring people in to hear the gospel on Easter. I pray, Father Lord, that you'll, you'll let fruit be, be witnessed as a result of that effort. I pray, Father Lord, that you would help us to live our lives as a living testimony for you, not just within these four walls, but, Lord, as we go out to live within our families, when we go out into the workplace, Lord, that, that Lord, we are examples that we are good shepherds, that we are responsible with your flock. Father, Lord, that we don't profane. Lord, that we don't wedge. Guard us, Lord, from temptation. Guard us, Lord, from failure. I pray, Lord, for safety over our, 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 our under-shepherd, Lord, for the Lindsay family as they're traveling. And as they're on vacation, Lord, it's a much-needed and, and, and well-deserved vacation, Lord. And, and we, we, we all need that time to recharge physically and, and mentally, Lord. And I just pray, Lord, that you would bless them and allow them to come back healthy and, and full of energy. And I just ask, Lord, that you Lord, just watch over them, guide them. Remember the many needs, Lord, that we have in our church. Father, Lord, there are those that are hurting physically. There are those that are hurting emotionally. There are those that are hurting financially. Lord, whatever the need is, Lord, I know, Lord, you, you are capable of meeting that need. Pray for those lives, and I lift them up before you now. All these things we ask in your name.